please sit comfortably. Good evening, everyone. Everyone online. Uh, what I'd like to talk about tonight briefly is about psychedelics and Zen. And uh, the reason why um, I'm talking about it, as you know, it's been in the news a lot lately that the Australian government has uh, chosen to, based on the research they've done so far, uh, is to have um, trials of using psilocybin, I think in particular, to treat psychiatric disorders like post-traumatic stress disorder and, and depression and anxiety. And um, so uh, it's still a, a, an illegal substance that was banned many years ago, I think back in the 1960s or 70s. Um, but its benefits are starting to be considered and to brought in and bringing it into carefully into psychiatry. And I want to say at the beginning of this talk, in talking about it and talking about it in regard to Zen practice, it is um, I'm not promoting it as something that people should do or encouraging it. Uh, one, because it's against the law still, but secondly, um, from experience I've had as a drug and alcohol counsellor, I've seen that it can um, be potentially quite harmful um, to some people, um, particularly people who are prone towards psychosis or pre-psychotic. Um, but, but even I've seen a friend of mine who took it when I was younger going to university, who seemed quite a, a normal person and he had a breakdown from it. So um, I'm, not, I'm not promoting it or encouraging it, um, not just because it's illegal, but because it, there's also a risk in taking it as well. But having said that, it doesn't mean that we can't have an adult conversation about psychedelics and what relevance they might have to, to Zen practice or not. There's a number, quite a number of um, well-known um, Buddhist teachers, contemporary teachers who have acknowledged that they took um, LSD um, when they were younger and it was a kind of a, a prelude or a stepping stone towards taking up Buddhist practice. And that was also true for me when I was in my 20s, early 20s. Um, I took it twice, I think, with some friends. And um, it was a kind of a fun experience in a very social kind of setting. It was fun, but it didn't have any depth to it, really. And then there was another time when I left university where it was um, planned and we went out um, into the countryside in a very quiet location. and. Um, a few of my friends and I took it. And my experience was um, uh, a really wonderful experience. And um, it was a, an experience of feeling very grounded and confident. All my self-doubt seemed to drop away. And uh, I felt very joyful, um, particularly with the connection with nature. And I felt very compassionate as well. Um, but I only took it, that was the last time I took it. And then um, I remember very clearly after that that um, I made a vow to myself that I wanted to experience this through Zen practice. And so in some ways I was going to take up Zen practice anyway, but it was a kind of a, a stepping stone. And, um, and the experience of it um, was a very strong bonding with the organic nature of life, nature, 
just sort of falling in love with with natural things. Um, but what came along with it as well was a, a real strong sense of aversion to city life and straight lines, you know, and machines and pollution. It's like I just hated it. Like there was a real dualism there, you know, that I experienced. Um, and and the experience that experience of inspiration that came from it lasted for about six months. And um, and I'll go into this a little bit later in terms of the research on it. But I noticed it was followed by uh, I wouldn't call it a depression, but it was an experience of flatness, like completely flat and meaninglessness that, that went for about another six months before it sort of gradually went back to normal again. Um, because it's been in the news a bit, um, I reread uh, James Austin's book on Zen and the Brain, um, and I remember that he had quite an extensive uh, uh, research, uh, a summary of the research that had been done on LSD and Zen. Um, because people, you know, um, talk about having altered states of consciousness or mystical kind of experiences. He, his research of the literature showed that the vast majority of people who take LSD have hallucinatory experiences, like they see things and hear things. Could be a good trip or a bad trip, could be entertaining or it could be a hell-like experience. But that's got nothing to do with Zen at all, the hallucinatory experience. And that's what the vast majority of people experience. Then there's a group of people who experience an enhanced sense of well-being, which I think is what I experienced. Um, then there's a, another category, and this is only a very small number of people who take LSD. And they're generally people who are quite mature, high-functioning, you know, perhaps older, more experienced. And they have what would, we would describe as an experience of no self, where the self dissolves. Now, maybe I had a bit of that, maybe, but um, it was more like a very strong sense of well-being. Um, but it's only a few people who take it who actually have an experience that seems anywhere near similar to what we might refer to as Kensho or a Satori experience, where there's a dissolution of the self. And um, uh, there's also been um, uh, some research they did in Switzerland um, and it was quite substantial research because there was two main people involved in it. One was a psychiatrist who was a director of a, a, a large clinic um, in Switzerland and the other leader of it was a, a Zen teacher, a, a Roshi. And the experiment they did, they did it in a Zen temple in the mountains in Switzerland. And, um, and they had a, a control group, an experimental group. So they're, they're all very experienced Zen meditators. And they gave the control group psilocybin and they gave the other half a placebo. And it was a double blind study, which means that um, but I, both the participants and the experimenters didn't know which drugs they were giving, which placebos or whatever, so no one knew. So there could be no experimenter bias, which is the, the gold standard of, of, of research. And um, 
and they so the 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 um, meditators sat for four days, and on on the fifth day they were given the placebo or the psilocybin, and they meditated, but they also had a, a rest a longer rest period to just experience, and um, and uh, the, the vast, I think all of them or the vast majority of people who were given the psilocybin um, experienced having very strong feelings of well-being, a sense of dissolution of, of self. And uh, the people who took the placebo did have some, some effect, but it was nowhere near the effect that the people on the psilocybin said. So it wasn't just a placebo effect. Um, there was something um, quite quite more um, significant about about that. But it was in a very um, controlled setting. And um, so um, various people have, have spoken about it. Um, I remember Robert Aitken Roshi because he, he, he was a teacher on the island of Maui. And uh, I don't know if you know much about the island of Maui, but it's where all the hippies <laughs> descended on in the 1960s with a lot of interesting and strange ideas. A lot of them were into psychedelics. And um, they would come to the Zendo and um, they, they weren't particularly good meditators. Um, they're a bit scattered from... because they were using LSD recreationally rather than in a, in a sacred religious setting. You know. um, but gradually a, a Zendo formed. And so Robert Aitken decided to take it to see what it was like. And I remember he told me he took it up in Haleakala Crater, which is the big crater on top of, um, dormant crater on top of Maui. And he said all I experienced was Roman soldiers marching in and out of the clouds, you know. <laughs> and he wasn't very impressed with it. And um, so he had, a, he had a hallucinatory experience, right? And also um, Yamada Roshi, who is um, Robert Aitken's teacher in, in um, Japan, who was a very... Um, revered um, Zen teacher as well as in his um, working life was a, a, a quite a conservative man in the sense he was a chief officer of a large hospital in Tokyo and so on. So he took LSD to, to see what it was like. And his, his comment is very, very interesting. He said it, 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 it helps you experience that emptiness is form but it doesn't show you that form is emptiness, which is a, an interesting comment. And I understand that to mean that you can experience, or someone like him can experience a dissolution of self, but it's not connected to ordinary everyday life. It's like it's an altered state of conscious, but it's got really nothing to do with integration into everyday life. Um, that's, that's what I sense he was saying about it. Um, Alan Watts, who many of you would know, and Alan Watts was, um, some people would describe as a kind of libertarian in a way, you know, it's very loose with experimenting with all these things. Even even he said, well, they're, they're really interesting experiences, but we all kind of ended up just doing Zazen. You know, and his, his, his words, typical Alan Watts, said, well, we just, we just went back to the simple act of doing Zazen, which we performed like idiots without any special purpose. <laughs> <laughs> so again, coming back to the, the ordinariness of, of everyday life. Now, 
whether it has any place in the future in in Zen or not. I've got I've got an open mind on that. But if but if it was, I, I was thinking if someone said they were doing a you know t- you know legitimate legal study on um, experienced meditators and you know um, in taking psilocybin, I'd probably put my hand up for it um, if it was in that kind of context um, because I'm be curious about it. Um, but one thing I would say is that based on everything I've said and the research that's been done. If there was a place for it in Zen practice, like psilocybin was used or mescaline was used in South American communities, it was done in a very sacred, structured context. It wasn't a party drug. You know, it was it was quite, done quite seriously, and you went through rituals of purification, and, and you know, you you built up to this experience. You know, and um, and and if we did it if it was done within the context of a, you know, a, a Zen setting with all the safety um, procedures, you know, and screening, you know, the right people were doing it and so on. Maybe I've, I've got an open open mind on it. Um, but it, we need to consider um, the comments of these um, seasoned Teachers like Yamada Roshi and Robert Aitken and so on, Atara Brack, um, Jack Cornfield, um, that it may it may be a stepping stone. Uh, maybe it opens something up, but it's certainly not um, the be, be all and end all, and it's not a it's not a quick fix to resolving all of your issues or anything. But whether it opens something up, maybe. Um, I've covered everything I think I was going to say, except one other further point is that um, um, LSD, probably psilocybin too, I'd imagine, um, it does, um, it creates a cascade of um, serotonin and dopamine, which are neurotransmitters, like the messenger chemicals in the brain, and, uh, and another one whose name I can't remember. Um, and what when there's a like a flow of those neurotransmitters going through your brain, they seem to cut through the um, the default mode network, that sort of automatic ruminating fantasizing that we do when we're not being mindful. It seems to cut through that and really bring you into mindful present moment experience. Um, so as um, James Austin, um, you know, being both a Zen practitioner as well as um, um, uh, a neuroscientist, um, in his book, emphasises that, you know, when you do meditation, you, you're changing your brain. You know, well, even if you're walking down the road, you're changing your brain. There's, all, there's always some correlation in your brain as to what you're doing that correlates with your experience. So through, through Zen practice of you know, of intentionally being mindful for long periods of time, not socially interacting, being quiet, etc. still, um, that in some way changes our brain. And he has various kind of hypotheses as to what's happening in the brain that creates Kensho experiences and um, uh, 
samadhi experiences and so on. Um, so even when we're doing straight Zen practice, we're, we're changing the brain in some kind of way and setting it up for some spontaneous, accidental kind of experiences to occur.